continuing the series of messages that we're in this week. Let's say Leviticus chapter 19. It's on page 96. Um, if your Bible says Chrestin, Some of you have said you've been reading through Leviticus, and uh, generally after you tell me that you've been reading through Leviticus, you say something like, it's weird, uh, which is true. That's, that's, that's true. Um, this is really weird. I, I mentioned the last time, there's kind of two big reasons why it's weird. Um, the first is this just enormous cultural difference. So not only is this written to a culture on the other side of the world, speaking a different language and customs and things like that. It was written like 3,000 years ago. So, you know, like parents or kids think that their parents are like hopelessly out of date and like don't understand at all what's going on. And there's like a 20-year, 30-year difference between them and their kids, right? 3,000 years, okay? So the, the cultural differences, the assumptions that people made about the world and everything, like it's just it's vastly different. And then the other thing, and this is important to say in a Christian church, is there's like real theological, like spiritual differences between like our world today and the world of Leviticus. And, and of course, the biggest difference is Jesus. So we were saying a few weeks ago, we were looking at the book of Hebrews, which is in the, the New Testament. It was written after Jesus. And it's talking about a lot of the offerings and things that we've been talking about. And it says that those things are really only a shadow of the things that are to come. Which is a way of saying, you know, we, we've talked about how shadows don't really tell you that much about what you're looking at. Right? My shadow doesn't look really any different from Betty's shadow, but we're pretty different people. Um, the only thing you can really tell from a shadow is maybe a little bit of uh, scale or maybe like movement, something like that. It only really becomes clear with Jesus. And so we're looking at this stuff, and I mean, they're just so many different theological, spiritual assumptions than we have today knowing Jesus. All right, so quick recap. Week one, chapter one, it was the burnt offering. Burnt offering was about how we're reconciled to God. Week two, chapter two, it was the grain offering. This was like, how do we give back to God from what He has generously given us? Week three, chapter three, it was the fellowship offering. Fellowship offering was like, um, God's done something cool in my life. How do I celebrate that it was about throwing a party right week four it's the sin offering um, verse one the lord said to moses say to the israelites when anyone sins unintentionally unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the lord's commands and then, and then it breaks it down. Then there's four categories after that. Right? These are like four paragraphs about different categories of types of people who might sin unintentionally. Okay? And it kind of lays out what you should do. So verse 3, it's when the priest does it. It's like me, right? Uh, verse 13, it's when like everybody did it. Like the whole nation sinned unintentionally. Verse 22, it's when like a leader did it. So like think like maybe like an elder or some prominent person. And then verse 27 is just like, when a regular Joe did it. Okay. It's when somebody sins unintentionally. Now, normally this would be the part of the service where I would read through how the offering goes, but I've been doing that now a few times, and every time I do it, your eyes just kind of glaze over. Um, 
but we got a tabernacle this week. Um, so I'm just going to kind of show you how it goes. And you can read it later. You can read it in all of its beautiful detail. And then email me questions or something. Um, okay, so um, first things. This is the unintentional sin. So the first thing is you've got to realize that you did it. Right? Otherwise you wouldn't know. You've you got to somehow realize that you did it. So you realize that you've done something wrong and you bring an animal. Okay? Um, and if it was the, the priest or like the whole nation who did it, you had to bring a bull which is like the biggest animal. Um, kind of for obvious reasons, right? This was like the, the biggest deal. Um, you'd, you'd bring a bull. If it was just like a regular leader of the church, just like, uh, like a tribal leader or something, you had to bring a goat. But if it was just a regular Joe, if it was somebody like, like you or me, um, you could bring a few different things. You could bring a sheep. Don't tell Anna. right? You could bring a sheep. You could bring, um, you could bring birds. You could bring birds. Or you could even just bring like a, um, like a jar of flour like uh, from the crop in your field. And you might remember, this sounds a little bit like the burnt offering. You remember the burnt offering? There was kind of like this sliding scale. Like uh, if you were maybe rich, you could bring a bull. And if you were kind of middle class, you could bring a goat. And if you were poor, you could just bring a sheep or a, a birds, right? And we talked about how Jesus' family, like they brought birds, um, it's the same way here. And, and the reason it's the same way is this offering is a little different than the last two. This one is um, when anyone sins unintentionally. It doesn't say if someone sins unintentionally. It's when someone does it. Okay? Everybody's going to do it. That's kind of the assumption here. It's going to happen. And God wants everybody to be able to respond. Um, and so if you're poor, you can't. I mean, it would take like years to get enough money to buy a bull. Um, and if, if you had to bring a bull, if that was the only way to do it, you couldn't, you couldn't respond to your unintentional sin. So God's got like this sliding scale so that anybody, no matter what circumstances you're coming from, at least you can bring a little bit of flour. Okay, so you, you, bring, you bring your animal and you lay your hand on it. Anybody remember the Hebrew word? This has come up a few times. Samak, you got it. Nice, Jonathan. Uh, does samak, is that like, is that like this? No. Samak is like, use your legs, right? Lean in, right? So samak. Um, when they samaked in the burnt offering, you remember what they were doing? The burnt offering, when they leaned in? You remember what he was saying? Like confessing sin. They were confessing their sin. Like, like Psalm 51, right? Like, have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your unfailing love. And then the fellowship offering. You remember what, what they said when, when they were samaking in the fellowship offering? They were like thanking God, right? Like Psalm 100. Right? Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Right? This one, the, the sin offering, this is like another confession one. Right? You're, you're, you're basically saying this unintentional sin that you've committed. Okay? And uh, so you, you confess the sin, you're leaning in, and then you... Kill it. Um, and now you got blood, right? You got blood everywhere. Uh, with the burnt offering, you take the blood and you kind of like splash it all around the altar. This time it's different. Um, this time you take the blood, and this is, this is different. So picture with me, you put on your imagination caps. Um, 
So we are in the, we are in the tabernacle, we're in the, uh, the courtyard, okay? So there's like a fence all around us. There's like a big altar in the middle. That's where all the offerings have been so far, right in the middle here. Um, this whole area, the stage area, that's, that's the tent. We haven't gone in the tent yet. We've had three offerings. We haven't had to go in the tent. We've just been grilling out here on the altar. Um, with this one, you go in the tent. Um, so uh, you, you walk in. The priest does this. And, uh, and he takes some blood. And when you're in the tent, there's two rooms in the tent. So I'm in the, I'm in the holy place. On the other side of the curtain is the Holy of Holies. Right, the Ark of the Covenant is back there. What the priest would do is he'd take the blood from the bull and he'd, he'd sprinkle it like seven times on the, the curtain here, just like that. And then he'd take some and he'd, he'd sprinkle it. This is the altar of incense. And he'd like smear a little bit on, on each of the, the horns of the altar of incense. Okay? And then he'd take the rest. He'd go back out of the tent. And then he'd like, I'm not going to do this, there's too much water in here. Um, but he'd like dump the rest out at the foot of the altar. Now you still got all the meat, right? And so he'd, he'd get out his butcher knife and he'd, he'd cut off the fat and the kidneys and he'd put that on the big altar and burn it up. That's just like the fellowship offering, right? Where the idea was that was an aroma pleasing to God. That was the best, like most valued part of the animal. The kidneys and the fat. So you burn that up. But now you still got this whole animal. This is where it really gets crazy. Um, what did they do with the whole animal with the fellowship offering last time? They ate it, right? They had a big party. But that was like to celebrate something good that God had done in their lives. This is about like a sin that they've committed. So instead of burning the meat on the altar here, you had to take the whole animal. It's all like bloody and guts and stuff, right? Because you just cut it open to get the fat out and the kidneys. And you've got to take it out of the courtyard. Uh, you've got to take it out of the courtyard. Not just out of the courtyard. So the outside of the courtyard, that's where everybody's tents are set up. You've got to go past the tents. All the way past all the tents to the last tent. And then past the last tent, there's like a pit outside of the camp, and that's where you would dump the body and burn the whole thing up. This is pretty elaborate, right? I mean, it's kind of a lot of work, and it's kind of a big deal, right? They're going in to the tent for the first time. Whatever's happening is so serious that they can't do it like in the courtyard. They, have to, they can't even do it in the camp. They have to go all the way outside the camp. Remind me, what was so serious that you had to do all this stuff? In the offering. What was the reason for the sin offering? It's in verse 1. It's an unintentional sin. That's what all this rigmarole was about. An unintentional sin. Um, the Hebrew word for an unintentional sin is the word shigaga. It's like Lady Gaga, but it's different. Um, it's shagaga. And shagaga kind of means like uh, to wander, to wander. So these are not sins that like you march into, right? Like, I am going to go do this bad thing now, right? It's like 
la 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 oh I, I can't believe I just did that right it's it's a wandering sin and uh in chapter five in the first four verses it gives examples of shigaga sins and and the second and third ones have to do with uh, purity laws and I'm not going to get into it it's We'll get into it later. It's kind of complicated. I think verse 1 and verse 4 of chapter 5 are easier for us to relate to. So I'm just going to talk about those. So chapter 5, verse 1. This is an example of a shigaga sin, an unintentional sin. If a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. All right, this is the situation. Um, you're a kid, you're at school, it's recess, okay? One of the kids is picking on another kid. They're like bullying him. And when you get in from recess, I don't know, maybe the kid, like, maybe he's got a bloody nose, maybe he's been crying, but the teacher notices that something happened and asks the kid, like, hey, like, what happened? Who did this to you? And the kid doesn't say anything. So now the teacher turns to the rest of the class. It says, all right, we're going to have our lunch break in an hour. Um, I'm sure that some of you saw what happened. If any of you saw what happened at lunch hour, I want you to come and I want you to tell me about it. Okay. Now you, you were there. You were there at school. You were, you were there at recess. You saw what happened. But when lunchtime comes around, you do not go and talk to the teacher. Now, there's lots of reasons why that could have happened, right? I mean, lunchtime is an exciting time in school. I remember this. You know, you're working your trades, right? The nutter butter for the Swiss cake roll. I don't know what you're trading, but like, there's stuff going on. It's easy to get distracted. So maybe you were distracted. Or maybe, maybe like secretly in your heart, you kind of wanted to be distracted. Right? Like maybe you were afraid that if you said something, like the bully might turn on you. Or maybe, you know, you're looking around and like your friends, they were all there too. They're not going up to talk to the teacher. So you're starting to have doubts. Like maybe we didn't really see what we thought we saw. And so you don't go and talk to the teacher. That's the first one. Second one, this is verse 4. If a person thoughtlessly takes an oath to do anything, whether good or evil, in any matter one might carelessly swear about, even though he's unaware of it, in any case, when he learns of it, he will be guilty. Okay, so carelessly swearing an oath. How about this one? Um, I'll call you. There's one. Um, or this one, this is the church special, right? I'll be praying for you. Now, again, like, there's lots of good reasons why you didn't call or why you didn't pray, right? You got distracted. Something important came up. Um, right? There's all kinds of reasons why it might not have happened. But I think, this is, I think this is the genius of the sin offering. By saying that the offering is for Chicago, right? by saying that it's for unintentional sins, I think it's kind of capturing something that I think a lot of us know to be true about sin. Which is that Usually, it's complicated. 
Like, like sometimes it's deliberate. Like sometimes we're just trying to be mean for mean's sake. I mean, that happens. But most of the time, like, it's, it's complicated. Like, there's all kinds of factors that weigh into it, and like, we've got reasons for why we did it. A lot of times when, when we sin, it's, it's not like we're being nasty. We're actually, we can sin sometimes and be very polite. You know, later in the Bible, in, in Leviticus 5, or in uh, Numbers 15, Numbers 15, the Shigaga comes up again, and they're talking about unintentional sins, and they contrast those with what they call defiant sins. And the, the Hebrew word for defiant sins is actually, it's, it's the Hebrew word for hand and the Hebrew word for high. It's high-handed. That's an expression in English too, right? Like, if you do something in a high-handed way, it's like, I do something and I don't even care what Jeff thinks about it. I don't care how Jeff feels about it. I'm just going to do it because I want to do it. That's high-handed. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about high-handed sins. I don't think they happen very often. Like, I don't think it's very common that like, we're just like, I'm going to go be bad today. Right? At least for me, like, I know, like, I find that my sins are usually much more subtle than that. Not always, but sometimes. Right? Like when I'm racist, it's not so much like I'm using like, a racial slur. You know, like, I hate this kind of person. It's more like I notice that I have like this sense of relief when the new family on the street that's moving in, when they have the same color skin as me. It's not like I'm exactly choosing to feel that, but like it's there. Right? Or like I was thinking, like I don't, like every week I don't back my car up to the boat launch on Riverside Park, take my trash, just like dump it into the Grand River. Right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not messing with God's creation like that. But like my house is much bigger than I need it to be. And we have not one, but we have two cars. And I have like so much stuff and clothes and things like I'm never going to use. And in that way, I think I'm incredibly wasteful. But in our culture, like having that much stuff, like it's not wasteful, it's normal. Right? And nobody's going to bat an eye at that. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to say, hey, you got to stop doing that. I don't think all of our sins are deliberate and high-handed. Not every sinner is like this nasty, cursing bully. Some sinners are... Pretty nicely dressed, even-tempered preachers. You know, I was thinking, like, most of us don't go around, like, announcing, you know, God, you know, he's like, I'd say he's like the second most important part of my life. Like, I was, you know, my faith, it's probably like the third, man, uh, probably the fourth highest priority in my life, something like that. You're not supposed to say that. But if somebody were to look at our checkbook or look at our calendar, see how we spend our money or our time, where do you think those priorities would come out? In Israel, when someone realized that they'd sinned, when they realized that their priorities were out of whack or they'd neglected to do something really important or they'd offended God somehow, they didn't say, 
well, you know, nobody's perfect. They didn't say, wow, you know, it's, it's complicated. They didn't say, wow, I mean, you, you think that's bad. Let me introduce you to this guy. In verse 14, it says, When the people became aware of their sin, they must bring an offering. In verse 23 and 28, it says, When a person becomes aware of their sin, they must bring an offering. And I think what this is telling us is that even if you didn't mean it, even if you meant well, when you contribute to sin, when you contribute to brokenness, there is a cost. I mean, imagine. Look at this lamb. This is an innocent-looking lamb. You just took this animal, and you literally have its blood all over your hands. Why did this animal die? Because you, Chicago, right? I mean, imagine, you're, you just had to carry this corpse through the camp. Do you think anybody would, have a, would ever mistake that this was not a serious thing? And what was it all for? For unintentional sins. I think this would just be such a powerful symbol for the Israelites that every sin has a cost. It, it, it does damage, even if we don't mean it to. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I am so good at minimizing the wrongness of what I've done. I'm just like a master at this. I've always got some alternative explanation, or I want to put it into context for you. Get myself off the hook. And I act as though because it was just an accident or because I wasn't trying to be mean, it didn't cause you pain or it didn't offend God. Just imagine these Israelites walking through the camp every day somebody else walking through the camp with this bloody carcass in their hands for an unintentional sin so maybe at school maybe you weren't the bully but maybe you just kept quiet about the bully there's a cost to that right god told his people when you realize you've done something wrong when you realize that you've fallen short Come to worship. Right? That's what bringing an offering was. It's come to worship. Bring an animal and lean in. Right? Um, later in the Bible, in the New Testament, after Jesus, John is writing. Um, he was one of the guys following Jesus around, and he's writing to like an early church, trying to sort of figure out what Jesus' death and everything meant. And he basically he brings up the sin offering. It's first John chapter one. He says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Shigaga, right? If we claim to be without sin, we're lying to ourselves. But then he says this, he says, But if we confess our sins, 
He's faithful and just, and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So what I love about the Christian faith, what I love about being on this side of Jesus, is that we know that, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, like that was all the blood we're ever going to need. That's all the reminder we're ever going to need of how costly our sin was. Like no more animals need to die for that. But I think what John reminds us of is that the need for samak, the need to lean in and confess your sins, that, that need is as strong as ever. Now you've got to notice how different this is from how most people think about religion. Right? right? We think about, well, it's all about looking perfect. It's about looking better than other people or being more right than other people. It's about keeping up appearances. This is like the opposite of keeping up appearances. You're covered in blood and walking through the camp. Right? I mean, if that's what God was interested in, if He was interested in us keeping up appearances and just looking good, then when I did something wrong, even if it was unintentional, I wouldn't just say anything about it. Right? I'd just keep it hidden. Or I'd, I'd point out how somebody else is more to blame than I am. But that's not the Christian gospel. The Christian gospel is a lot more like step four of the 12 steps. I made a searching and fearless inventory of myself. Ugh. I made a searching and fearless inventory of myself. I admitted to God, to myself, to another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs. The Christian gospel says that if you trust in Jesus, you don't need to be afraid to take a searching and fearless inventory of yourself. The blood of Jesus can cover it all. And I think that the call of Leviticus 4 for all of us today, the call of Leviticus 4, is that when we realize what we've done, come to Jesus and lean in. All right, let's pray together.